Good evening. I've been stranded without the lectern tonight. It's a bit of a strange sensation. I feel like I should burst into karaoke or something, but I'll save you from that. Thank you for coming to the National Library this evening. My name's Catherine Favell. For those of you who haven't seen me here before, I look after the community outreach programs at the library. And it's always a thrill for me to have great writers here for great discussions about great books. So we're going to have a terrific evening. As we begin... I'd like to begin by acknowledging the first traditional owners of the land, the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people, and thank their elders past and present for looking after this land that we're privileged to call our home. Now, I was having a little scoodle around Google, as you do before these events, and I realised that it's nearly 20 years since I first came across Michelle de Kretzer and her beautiful book, The Rose Grower. And that made me start to think about how books can have a kind of imaginative scent because all the books of Michelle's that I've read linger in my mind in some way, like a fine perfume. You know that feeling that you get when suddenly it could be vanilla essence and you're back in the kitchen with your mum making chocolate chip cookies? Every now and then, something from Michelle's books triggers my memory in that way. Something will trigger a memory. It could be Sophie from The Rose Grower trying to create the great crimson rose. Uh, It could be Tom in his cabin in the bush suddenly having to look for his lost dog. Or there's a memory, Michelle, that I have of Laura leaving a rather dingy publisher's office in Sydney and a back alley. And every now and then these little... Memories of the books arrive and capture my imagination again and make me think back to that reading journey. Tonight we're going on a new reading journey with Michelle, with her new book, The Life to Come. And I know it's going to take us not just to Sydney, Paris and Sri Lanka, but into thoughts and ideas and memories and remembrances of things past and things future that perhaps we haven't experienced yet or will remind us of things we have experienced. Joining Michelle tonight is a familiar face, Andrea Ho, who many of you will know from her many years at Triple Six. Andrea's just started a new job with the ABC, which maybe we'll hear a little bit about too. So to talk to Michelle about her new book, please welcome Michelle and Andrea. Thank you. And it is very much my pleasure to say hello to Michelle de Kretzer and to meet you face-to-face for the very first time. And I'd like this because it is such an intimate room because there really aren't very many of us that, uh, that I'd like you very much to be a part of the conversation as well. So this evening, we do have room for questions at the end, but the end is such a boring place to have questions. So if you've got a burning question that you want to ask, raise your hand. There are people here from the library who can give a microphone to you, and let's actually make this nice and interactive, a great conversation. But before we get going, I want to find out a little bit about you. I know that this is a very new book. This is what it looks like here. Has anybody actually got round to reading it yet? It's only been released for about a fortnight or so. Oh, look at the book nerds at the front. And in the front. We'll quiz them. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. You come up with the hard questions. (laughs) That is to be expected. Well, actually, no, I didn't necessarily even expect two book nerds this evening. But how many of you have read some of Michelle's other works? 
thank you. Thank you very much. Well, so you're you're familiar then with her work. The the lovely thing is that at points this evening, Michelle is actually going to read a little from uh, the life to come, and I think that that's a great privilege. So we'll call on you to uh, give us a little performance art shortly. But if we were to describe this novel, if I were to say what what is my first impression coming away from this? To me, it's a novel of people and it's a novel about their lives. It's by turns funny and also excoriating. It's quite intense at points, but there are also points of banality. It's really interesting. It's filled with a lot of bright and sharply drawn snapshots in time, which is the kind of thing that Catherine was talking about. At the same time, it sweeps broadly across both place places and time as well. So it does a lot of different things at once. But at its core, it's a novel about writers and about writing. So how lucky are we to be able to explore those themes with uh, the writer this evening? I thought it might be nice to introduce us to some of the characters. Um, If there's a central character, it's a writer whose name is Pippa, but other characters loom large as well. Characters such as George, Celeste, Christabel, others pass through and leave their mark as well. Let's meet a couple of them, shall we, Michelle? And uh, um, read a little for us to introduce us to uh, to um, Pippa and to uh, Celeste. Okay, terrific. So um, the novel is, um, I should just explain, it's in um, five different sections which are completely um, self-contained, but there are also links between the five. So um, the middle bit, the third bit, is set in Paris and in this portion um, there's a translator called Celeste who is significant here and um, Pepa who's the character who appears in each of the five sections uh, who's in this this section she's got a residency a writer's residency in Paris I'll just read from the beginning of the section The exhibition of paintings at the Australian Embassy was opened by Professor Wilkes, a stately Aboriginal man. A specialist in international law, he was in Paris to give an address at UNESCO. The embassy, the work of a famous architect, was on a monumental scale. It was rumoured that the architect had sought to shrink the French down to size the echoing corridors that could have passed as tunnels, the reception rooms, vast as stations, provided a heroic frame for long-boned Australians while turning the local service staff into beetles. Introducing Professor Wilkes, Valerie, the cultural attaché, said, oh, we couldn't get Robert or Germain or Clive, but luckily Brendan was available. Valerie had the carrying voice and clear, brilliant complexion of someone who lives on an Alp. Uh, The first thing Pepper said afterwards was, didn't you just die when Valerie came out with that stuff? I felt so ashamed. That poor man having to stand there and listen to it. I went straight over afterwards and told him I loved his speech. He was just so dignified and lovely. Pippa was wearing coral lipstick, a green dress with a stiff, ruffled skirt like a lampshade, and awful shoes. Her head was too small for the massive skirt. She looked like a broomstick at a ball. 
When it was time to leave, she placed a red beret at a careful angle on her cropped hair. Effort so far in excess of achievement couldn't fail to move. When Pippa looked around at the sound of her name, her skirt seemed to turn more slowly than her hips. Her big teeth, contrasting with her neat little features, would always surprise when she smiled. She agreed readily to meet for a drink near Celeste's apartment in the ninth. Oh, we don't have to clap Of course we have to clap when there's a performance. That... Well, apart from the fact that, did we all laugh at the right points? Uh, yes, you did. Okay, Thank you that's very great. Much. We passed. We that's can terrific. Never, can never rely on that. <laughs> Some writers spend a lot of time in their characters' heads, talking to us about what they're thinking, how they've overthought, yeah, yeah. all of those things. But you've spent a lot of time in sections of the book describing what we see so that I can get a real picture, as I read, of time and place. Why is that important for you in your writing? It's important for me because that's what I enjoy reading in other people's books. Um, I like books with a strong sense of place, of setting, and of period. Um, And, you know, those kinds of novels where there's something about, you know, the old man arrived in the city uh, with the little girl and they went into... A cafe, and they all, and they had a meal. Well, I always want to know what was the old man's name, how old was he, where had he come from, what was the child's name, why were they in this city, uh, what did they eat? Um, all of that, I think, for me, is what I really enjoy reading about because I think it's so revealing of character. So, in this book, each section is narrated from the point of view of one or sometimes two different. Characters Sometimes, as in that one, there's a bit of an omniscient narrator, but Celeste is the main character, so a lot of it is filtered through her. Um, so the idea was that um, Pippa, although she's the only character... So Pippa's the Australian novelist. Although she's the only character who appears in each section, um, I was glad that when you were introducing her, you said, if there is a central character, it's... Pippa, because it's a good question. Is there a central character? Um, Because Pippa, in some of the sections, is a very minor character. So, would you agree, having read it? Yes. Um, So she gets one whole section to herself, but in others she she can be a sort of equal character, she's in this one, or in some she's really a very... um, a a minor character on the edge of the action, although she has an effect on it. Um, So I like that way of revealing character by showing you someone at different times of their life and in different contexts. It requires me as a reader to work a little harder because just as I'm getting into George's head, then suddenly I'm in Celeste's head and then finally I'm in Pippa's. But before I get to Pippa, I've learned a lot about her from other characters. How do you put yourself into the minds of so many different characters? Most people, most writers, really only spend their time in the minds of one. Oh, um, well, I, I like world building as a novelist. Um, this is... Uh, horribly revealing of megalomania, I'm sure. But um, I enjoy creating different worlds. I just find it satisfying. 
And so in this novel, I was able to indulge my taste for that by making up these five different worlds. Um, and you mentioned George, and he's of interest to me because he, George is the main character in the first section, and he's also a writer. He's older than Peppa. In fact, he's been her university tutor. Um, and one summer she has nowhere to live and he invites her to share his house for the summer. And my idea when I started writing this book was that George would be the linking character whom we would meet, you know, in various um, guises and at various stages of his life. Um, except that by the time I had finished writing section one... George is of no interest to me anymore, whatsoever. I felt I knew everything I needed to know about George and that therefore the reader knew everything they needed to know about George. So he appears later on, but very, very fleetingly. Uh, whereas Peppa interested me much more. I thought she was a more complex character. I felt that with George, what you see is what you get. You understand George. Um, that Pippa was mercurial. And that interested me more. And so, you, so you're telling I went me that Pepper. that you didn't know how the book was going to finish. That oh no, I did. I, did. Oh, I you always did. know. Okay. I always know the ending of each each section. Right. Uh, so I was, in other books where I've only had you know more or less a single narrative, I've known how that's going to end. And with each of these, I knew exactly how it was going to end. But the characters have a life of their own. Yeah. It sounds as though I mean, well, Pippa did. I mean, I, you know, I like them to do exactly what I tell them, they, and mostly they do. Um, it was just that, you know, a novel is quite a long thing, uh, a big undertaking, and I want to be interested by the characters. And as I said, I just thought Pippa... Was a, was a shiftier character than George. and Who's already pretty shifty in his own right. But that Pippa had more surprises in her, that her... she I think George is set on his path very early on. He has a very clear idea of what he's going to do and the books he's going to write. And I just felt I knew people like kind of like George, you know, not exactly, but, but Pippa was... Um, I could have more fun with Peppa, I felt. You said two very interesting things just now. You've talked about world building and you've talked about the megalomania you have as a writer. Yeah. It strikes me that you're not a benevolent god of the universe you're creating, right? You don't spare your gaze when you look at these characters. You're pretty rough with some of them. Do you actually Ooh. like your characters? Um, oh, some more than others. I would say, and my feelings about them shifted. And I hope that the reader's feelings about Pippa, for instance, shift over the course of the book so that when you see her in different contexts doing different things, that, you know, something that seemed quite benevolent uh, when you first meet Pippa, or at least harmless, I suppose, might seem a lot less harmless by the time you get to the end. Um, that was part of the surprise of revealing Pippa, um, for me, as to whether I like them or not, in a, in a way that doesn't have much meaning for me, because they are just 
they do, they're not real people. They don't, they don't exist. So they, the, I am aware of how I have pulled the strings and made them do stuff. So my interest in them is how they interact with other people and how they are in the world. Um, but, you know, when I've finished writing them... They, they are gone for me. People sometimes say, you know, do you think about your characters after the book has ended? What, what might their lives be after the novel has ended? Well, whatever you like, because, you know, at that point, you know as much about them as I do, so anything. Isn't that interesting? See, for me as a reader, that's very revealing. I get very invested in the people who I read about. Yeah. And so when you, when you come to characters and things happen to them, you're very caught up in the emotion yes. of the moment, yes. I think. I wonder about the autobiographical aspects of books. Um, this is, as we've said, a book also about writers and about the business of writing. And I think it's kind of funny that um, that a lot of the characters in the book are given... Pippa gives them her, her books and they don't read them. Um, that's kind yeah. of interesting in and of itself. Uh, but then also, too, they, um, they, they have parallels with aspects of your life as it's told in biography. So they've lived in the places that you've lived. Mm. Um, Sydney, uh, Paris, um, Sri Lanka, Colombo. These mm. are all places mm. where you've lived and studied and grown up. And they're writers themselves mm. as well. How much do you draw on yourself and the people around you? And there is a scene towards uh, the end of the book where where Pippa's Neighbour is revealed as a character in her most successful book, the book that becomes successful, mm. and it's really awful for that yes. person to realise that she's been picked up like a bowerbird's yes. picked her up and just put her there as a shiny little object. Yes. Have you ever had yes. that happen? Um, oh, I, I have never uh, put someone I know into the book. Not, I would add, because I'm sort of above it ethically, sadly, I would possibly be capable of it, but I would be bored by it. As I said, with George, for instance, I felt I knew him, and, and not that I knew a George in real life, but by the time I finished writing that section, I felt I, I had no more interest in him. So if I you know, knew you well, and um, I, I would have no interest in putting you in a book, because I feel I know you not here. I don't know you very well, so you know, think everything is possible. Um, but you know, I, I'm sort of not. I need to be interested in a character, and for them, you know, as I said, to be able to move in surprising ways. If I knew, if I was trying to put you in a book, I would feel constrained by, oh, but Andrea wouldn't do that in real life, so I wouldn't be able to invent Andrea. The dogs, however, are completely drawn from life and completely exploited. So, so they are my figures from real life. As for place, well, I, um, I'm always interested in place and I've um, just written about places that, that I know in this book. And so in that sense, that place, there, there is auto, an autobiographical link. Um, although I do send some characters to Romania where I have never been. Uh, but I checked it. I checked it, you know, ran it past people who had been to Romania and they said it, was, it could pass. So that was okay. And I don't know why Romania. I just woke up one day and thought, they're going to Romania. Um, you see. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I mean, it was... Of course, there are, there are 
observations from from real life about place. And actually, I might just read a tiny bit. This might be a good time because I moved up from Melbourne to Sydney eight years ago. And one of the things, you know, although it's not that far, and obviously it's the same country, but it is very different. And one of the first things I noticed was a completely different aesthetic in terms of what people wear. Um, So I might just read a little bit. So this is George, who's been born in Sydney, but has spent most of his life in Melbourne, then he's moved back to Sydney to study. And he's gone to Pippa's house. Uh, She's invited him to a party. This is before she and he are sharing a place. And, um, well, this is just some ruminations. Um, it's it's it, the weather which has been warm when George leaves home has turned cold by the time he's got to the party and so he's walking around this party feeling he can't get out of, the, of cold drafts. The girls didn't seem to notice it. They were Sydney girls with short skirts and long bare arms. Recently George had gone to an opening at a gallery in the company of a visiting lecturer from Berlin. The artist was fashionable and the gallery's three rooms were packed. Over dinner, the German woman expressed mild astonishment at the number of sex workers who had attended the opening. Is this typical in Australia, she asked. George had to explain that she had misunderstood the significance of shouty makeup, tiny, shiny dresses, and jewels so large they looked fake. Eastern suburbs cast marks. They identified the arty, bookish daughters of property developers and CEOs. George was still adjusting to them himself after Melbourne, where the brainy girls wore stiff, dark clothes, like the inmates of 19th century institutions, (laughs) with here and there an exhibitionist in (laughs) grey. So I read this in Melbourne last week, and then they went, oh, no, 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 we're we're all in... No, no, we we do colours now. (laughs) And I look out at the audience, black, grey... Some exhibitionists in Navy, but, you know, <laughs> basically nothing has changed. Nothing. Well, nothing. so how much of what you write, then, is observation and how much is actually commentary? I mean, notice some of the really tight language used there. Jewels so large they looked fake. You know, within, yeah. within a half a sentence you've got a world of commentary oh. going on there. And there are so many subtexts in here. There's the commentary about, uh, about uh, writers, Australian writers not reading uh, Australian novelists or people who are interested in literature not reading Australian novelists. There's the commentary about the way that we curate an image of ourselves on social media. I mean, some of it is really quite searing. Are you actually wanting to take a swipe at us or is this just what you see and you just put it in the book? Oh, it's just what I see. Um, there are certain things... I certainly want to um, draw um, to a reader's attention, like Australia's hideous policies concerning asylum seekers. Um, so I'm always happy to take a swipe at any government that maintains you know, our current um, 
line on that. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I, I do uh, write about what I see. I'm not making stuff up, I don't think, in terms of social commentary. Um, but I like to leave the reader, as I said, I think the crucial thing for me is with character, that I want to leave the reader free to make up his or her own mind about what they think of these people. I present them, you decide. Um, there's no one here from Perth, is there? Oh, there's no, no, come on, come on, come on. I'm not. So Celeste has grown up in Perth, but now she's been living in Paris for 30 years, and her half-brother and his family come to visit, and they bring her an Otto Lenghi cookbook as a present and talk about how they've been cooking from that all through the summer heat waves. And Celeste, is, who hasn't been back, is turning these pages and going, when did they start eating pomegranates in Perth? Um, but that's the typical expat thing, OK? You leave a place and you think that it has frozen in time. Um, so that is probably says more about a kind of expat mentality than it does about Perth. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I get the undercurrent of, um, if we're to use a commonly used phrase, cashed up bogan going on there too. Oh, oh cruel. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, but you make up your own mind. That's, That's right. Your, your characters really do have a life of their own. Uh, and I, I was... I guess I suppose I was interested um, to about the undercurrent of class in yes. the novel. You know, first Pippa changes her name from Narelle because because people called Narelle Narelle don't win awards. Yeah, Pippa has decided at a very early age that she's going to be a writer, and on her 18th birthday, she changes her name to Narelle, saying uh, from Narelle to Pippa, saying no one called Narelle is ever going to win the Booker. So there so you go. she starts by dreaming up. But then she educates up, and then yeah, she marries, and she marries up. up. But the thing that I, for me, and I guess everyone's reaction to character is going to be different. So please don't take my interpretation as read. You will all have your own interpretation about character. But for me, the more middle class that people became, the more hideous she became for me. You know, the patronising tone to her liberalism, the the social media activism, which really have a, have a read of the beautifully crafted phrases about the way that we curate in the social media world. It's horrible. Um, the criticism of, of the Anglo-Australian middle class seems pretty severe. Am I being really tough? Am I being unfair? Well, that's a certain kind of little slice of it. I suppose the thing about the Pippa curating herself on social media was it's not really so different from the way Pippa curates herself in real life. Um, so the thing about Pippa is that She's, she's not one of those people who can do good or be good or be kind unconsciously. She's always very aware that she has done a kind thing or said a kind thing. Um, she, so she performs kindness, she performs outrage, as in that section I read where she's outraged on behalf of Brendan um, and she does this on social media as well. Her mother-in-law, um, who Pippa doesn't get on with, and one reason they don't get on is they're actually not that different from each other. Her mother-in-law does this, who's not on, on social media, but does this quite um, unselfconsciously in, in real life. So Pippa will do something like um, 
make a meal for someone who's ill and then post about it on Facebook or on her blog or something. And then everyone says, oh, Pippi, you're so wonderful, you're so kind. Um, and Eva, the mother-in-law, has parties of which you know, all the catering is done by an organisation that only employs asylum seekers. And she follows these women around the room saying, she's a refugee, you know, um, just so that you know that you know, she's doing the right thing. So I guess I was just, you know, um, this, the social media curation of the self is not so different from the, 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 the performative aspect of um, the way people cu- uh, present themselves. And yet the, the unforgiving eye that you put on these characters, uh, because I'm invested in the character as a reader, right? You, you've, you've got them, you're winding them up like yeah, little, yeah. little figures and they're going off and they're doing their thing, but I'm very invested in these figures. Yeah. They make me look very hard at myself. It's a very hard read in that sense because Ooh. you laugh. I mean, truly, the, it's so excruciating. You're just laughing to yourself and you just think, oh, my God, I'm laughing at all this terrible behaviour and I'm sure I'm equally as bad, if not worse. And so it is a very interesting experience in which you're actually quite drawn into these, these characters. Well, I think it's a very generous response, actually, to say I'm reading this and it's making me think about myself rather than I'm reading this and I... I, you know, I'm pushing it away because it's making me feel uncomfortable. So thank you for that because I think it is, it's, it's a generosity on the part of you as a reader to, to look at it that way. Um, I mean, I think art should make us a little bit unsettled and uncomfortable. A little bit of pearl clutching is not bad, you know. Um, yeah, I'm just I, checking. They <laughs> clutch them so hard. They, <laughs> they sprung just, everywhere. They've, know, they've gone their own way. Um, uh, let's look at the way we live now and think about it. And I, and I will repeat my offer to you that ask a question now. You'll, you'll have time very soon, but please, if you've got a question burning at this point about not only this novel, but the one that you've read or the ones that you've read, then you have Michelle right in front of you. you know, take advantage of that. In the meantime, that exploration of uh, people, for me, was not just about the, the individual characters, but also the nature of, of friendship and relationships. Oh, so there was a lot about the way that they interact as people. Uh, some of that very positive, you know, yeah. as being friends, about remaking friendships over time. Some of it uh, quite challenging. So the theme of infidelity runs right through uh, mm-hmm. the different sections of the book in very different ways. Like it's, yes. it's dealt with or tackled in I hadn't realised this, believe it or not. Really? And my publisher read it and said to me, it's, look, it's, there's men having affairs all over mm-hmm. the place. And I thought about it and I thought, well, yes, but actually not only men. No. We also Um, hear directly from the women who are involved. Yes. Um, And I'm so glad you talked about um, friendship because this is another thing that I hadn't really thought about when I was writing. Um, You know, there's so much that one does unconsciously and then afterwards you see patterns. Um, But I think that... As I was writing this book, I just became more and more interested in the idea of female friendship. And this is not a novel about female friendship at, not all. at all. But I was, it, it would just occur to me that I don't know of many novels that have adult female friendships at their centre. Not talking about adolescent Mm -hmm. girls 
of which there are many, many, many novels. I'm not talking about, um, you know, relationships that are um, sexual. I'm talking about just female friendships. I think one of the reasons the Ferrante series, the Naples books, were so um, compelling was that that did place a female friendship at the heart of those those novels. Um, I would also um, argue that for me, the most intense of those books, I think they're four or five now, was the first one where they are actually adolescent girls. Um, because as I suppose people get older, romantic relationships tend to intervene and novelists focus on these because there are the obvious dramatic possibilities of you know, love gone wrong or love gone right or whatever. Um, there are the more highs and lows. But friendship is harder, I suspect, to write about. And yet you and have several in this book, not one, but several female friendships, none of which are straightforward, I might add, and, uh, yeah. or, and several of which span large amounts of time. So there are, yeah. there are adolescent years, yeah. but they go right, right yeah. to the other end of the scale too. So there is actually something in this novel for every one of us. But that is so interesting because I swear I wasn't aware of that when really? I was writing it. I was interested in the idea of friendship, but thinking, I, was, I was asking people, recommend me a book about, uh, about female friendship. I was thinking about reading it rather than writing it. And someone said the other day, talking to a reader, she said, you know, there are these pairs yes. in, in these sections. Well, it sort of seems obvious to me now and rather embarrassing that I just didn't notice that. Isn't that uh, so you know, read. It's good to talk to readers because you learn all sorts of stuff about what was going on in your own unconscious. At the well, time. so there is your invitation. Then, <laughs> who has a, a question that you would like to ask Michelle at this point? I'm tired of the sound of my own voice. Somebody else here must have something that you'd like to put to Michelle. Please just pop a hand up. Great. <laughs> Oh, do we, if we might wait till the microphone gets to you, if you wouldn't mind. We, the other thing I would say is that this is being recorded to be published online, so just please be aware. Say, say your name, your first name at uh, least. Dennis, is that coming through? Yes. Yeah, good. Look, I'm interested to take you back to Romania and um, just get a sense of, of how it is that, uh, with an emphasis on place, as you mentioned, you create a sense of that place if you haven't actually been there. Oh, okay, thank you. That's a good question. It's a very short section of the novel. It would be a few thousand words. And the characters in that section go for a long walk, mostly, through the Romanian countryside. And I've done many long walks through the French countryside. It's not that different from what I can gather. So I just you know, sent them to those places. And then, um, so, you know, I was just describing the, the landscape for most of that section, which is only, as I said, maybe 4,000 words, maybe not even that long. And um, then I have a scene in a house which was just like um, films I've seen about Central Europe. 
But an extension of that question, I think, too, is how do you bring a place alive, even if it's a place that you know, for someone who hasn't been there? So if you haven't been to Paris, if you haven't been to the rural French countryside, if you haven't been to Colombo and don't have a mm. sense of those places, yet you bring those alive, I think, for me, the reader, oh, how do you do that? What are you doing when you write? This is an mm. aspect now about craft, I suppose. Um, well, I'm glad they came alive for you. I mean, I guess it's just like any kind of writing. It's about the selection of detail and what you include that seems to make it vivid for the reader and, of course, um, what you leave out. All writing is really a matter of selection. Um, So you just try and write about things, I try and write about things that that strike me. Um, Whether, you know, it's a... It's a particular kind of um, cart track with um, weeds and flowers growing up um, along the central ridge uh, in the section on Romania, which is something you know you see a lot when you're walking in the countryside. Um, or it might be the fruit bats rotting on the power lines in Sydney. Mm. Um, or it might be the roadkill on the roads of the uh, roadkill on the roads of New Zealand. Zealand. <laughs> um, so it's just trying to find the details that will bring it alive for the reader. And really, if it's it's usually things you can remember yourself. Memory is a pretty good filter. I think you remember the things that are striking. And if they're of interest to you, they're probably going to work for other people as well. Thank you, Dennis. It, um, it begs another question. You talked about what you leave out and uh, a novel can contain the whole world and nobody would ever get through it. It would be deathly boring. How do you choose what to leave out? Um, well, therein lies the, the art, I guess. Um, you just try and make a shapely narrative that you know, you, you hope is compelling to people to read. I edit and edit and edit and edit. So how much would you start with? How much would you throw out in an editing process? Oh, I don't know because, you know, one of the things about word processing is you don't keep track of what you're doing day to day. At the end of a draft, I will print the whole thing out and then edit on paper and then do another draft and print that thing out and edit that on paper. So, you know, I could show you those, and there are probably about five or six of them, um, but I can't show you the daily labour of what I've done of a morning because it's, it's been lost with word processing. It's, it's not like manuscript, which mm-hmm. preserves all those crossings out. And Gosh. How, yeah. the, how, the, how the craft has changed over time. Someone else, a question from, from the floor? And remember to introduce yourself. Hi, Michelle, I'm Michael. Um, Hi. I'm just interested in, as a writer, and when you're... Um, what, what patterns of reading? I mean, do you read for leisure? Do you read yeah. to learn things to enable you to write better? Yes. And, have you read anything that's really impressed you of recent times? Yes, those are all good questions. Yes, I'm completely a reader. I am 
addicted to reading. All writers come from readers, right? I mean, I think if you're not a passionate reader, you probably won't end up being a writer. Um, so I, I do read some things when I'm in the middle of writing a book for purely uh, research purposes, and there are quite a few of um, those things which would range from history books um, or, um, you know, um, Wikipedia entries, um, textbooks of one kind or another that I want for a particular purpose, uh, scholarly books. Um, and then, of course, I'm just reading for pleasure and leisure of an evening, for instance. And one thing I've found is that um, it's always good to read something you admire last thing at night. or It's good for me, anyway, because just before falling asleep, I'll read a few pages of prose that I think is wonderful. And that enters your mind when you sleep. Um, when I was a student um, learning languages, learning French, for instance, I always found it helpful to read over you know, repeat rules of grammar or whatever I was trying to learn, lists of vocabulary, last thing at night. And I find that that helps with, with writing as well. You wake up and those rhythms are in your mind. So, you know, that transfers to, to a day's writing. Were you looking for a recommendation there, Michael? Oh, just, just interested, you know. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Okay, another question? And remember too that at the end you'll have a chance to, to have your book signed by uh, Michelle and uh, talk to her at the end as well. Thanks. My name's Jackie and my question was stimulated by your question, Andrea, about how do you know what to leave out? And it's how do you know when you've given enough for a reader the character and the plot, I suppose, but particularly the character in the way that you wanted to? Um, well, I guess it's because... I guess because it's so much in your head, the character, so it's always mm. that thing when you're trying to know, well, mm. have I written enough to get what's in my head into someone else's head? And indeed, because this contains several lifetimes, but you wouldn't necessarily know it just to look at it, would you? Yes. Hmm. Um, I I don't know how I know. And I suppose, you know, in a way, those first readings by people other than me are important for that. So you get feedback from editors, for instance, or from my agent. Um, I guess it's just from experience as a reader, partly, that, you know, you think about what other writers do in terms of character and how you find that satisfying and then you try and do something similar yourself. I, I don't know is the answer. I mean, that answer will vary for, for everyone, I think. You just try and write the best you can um, and try and give as much information as possible in a, 
in a short um, space of time. One of the things that was an advantage, I, I think, with this book for me was that because it's in different sections, um, there is stuff about Pepper, for instance, that I think the reader just fills in by themselves, you know, um, leaping across time and place. Um, but, you know, Pepper has moved from this country to the city to study. Well, I don't go into a great deal of detail about that. You just know that Pepper, you know, grew up somewhere and is now living somewhere else. And I think the reader can fill in some of those blanks for themselves. Um, and because you see her when she, through different perspectives, when she's young, from the point of view of a girl she was at school with, uh, from the point of view of a neighbour who is quite dazzled by the fact that she's a writer, from the point of view of George, who is not very impressed with her at all, um, you get to see different aspects of her character. But whether it's enough to satisfy a reader, well, you just sort of, you know, it's... Uh, you just hope that it is. Um. To me, this is interesting because it, it describes uh, the act of writing and then uh, the act of reading, receiving your writing, as being a bit of an interactive process. I mean, yeah. your Pippa must, therefore, from what you're saying, yeah. be different than my Pippa or your Pippa. And it's very rare that you get an opportunity then to interact with the writer because usually you have the book and that's as far as the interaction goes. We have the great fortune to be able to reflect on this yeah. in the room and that the, the circle completes, in yeah. other words, because usually it stops with us, but now it's coming back around to you here in this one room, well, which is interesting I to me. I think always reading is what completes the act of writing, always, you know. Um, and we all read a different book, always. Uh, and I'm conscious of reading, uh, rereading books that at different times of life and having sometimes same reaction and sometimes very different ones. Are you rereaders, by the way? Do you reread books? See, look, there's a whole mix, isn't there? I'm, I'm yeah. a terrible rereader. I love rereading books yeah. because at different times of, of your, your life, life they yeah. mean different things. So, what that suggests to me is that it's really, you know, what the reader brings to the book determines to a large part what the reader will take out, take away from the book. So there you go. Now, we're coming close to the end here, and I feel as though I can just indulge myself for a moment here or two. Um, there are, for me, many moments in the life to come that I find quite moving that feel a little bit like universal truths. And I actually think that you might find different ones. Everybody has a different reaction, as we've said, to the book that we read. So I'm just going to very quickly ask you for a quick reaction for a couple of these. Uh, Christabel, in response to Bunty towards the end of the book, says, "'It's all right to have no use for the past,' but it's what they were stuck with. What's the relationship between the past and the future and who we are as people? Oh, that's a rather large question to leave till the <laughs> end. Um, what's the relationship between the past and the future? I think that um, what we come from will always determine to some extent how we see the world, um, but it doesn't mean that we're fixed in those ways. We can always change, uh, as Pippa changes over the course of the book. Um, that, that's in the context of um, someone saying, well, you know, I wish that 
my life had been different if we hadn't been born in Sri Lanka. If we'd been born in Sweden, we could have had these quite different um, careers. And the other person responds by saying, well, you know, but that this is what we are stuck with. We have to make the best of what we have. Um, so, yeah. And then a last one. Pippa's father-in-law, Keith, is dying of cancer. He's calming down his pet dog and he says, there's the dog, um, one of them, uh, everyone just wants to be held. Is that not true? And I think on that note, we'll thank you very much, Michelle. Oh, thank you, Andrea, and thank you all.